Testament. We've been going through this story, the study of God, for a hot minute. Uh, if you've been here, it's been a year and three months of going through and talking about the story of God from the very beginning of creation, before creation even, who God was and what he's done through creation. And I won't go back through it all. Uh, you can go uh, listen to a previous uh, sermon from last week or weeks before if you want to hear it all. But the long, or you can go read it. That'd be even better. Uh, the long and short of it is that God made a perfect place, a perfect kingdom, a, a creation that was perfect. And in doing so, he placed Adam and Eve in that perfection. And rather than to serve the Lord, rather than to serve the God who created them, they chose to serve themselves uh, to build their own kingdom. And as a result, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world. But God, even in that moment in Genesis 3.15, makes a promise to Eve that a child from Eve's own body will redeem mankind. That a child will change everything. That a child will restore uh, and destroy the works of the devil. So, we have now been going through that story. The entire Old Testament. We haven't looked at every word in the Old Testament, but we have watched for that person promised to Eve to come. We followed that through a flood. We followed that through a family. We followed that through that family being enslaved in Egypt. We followed that through that family growing and meeting God out in the desert and getting his word. We followed that through those people being given a land. We followed that through that same group of people being Exiled from that land because they won't follow the Lord. Um, and then we followed them back to the land when God restored them. And now that brings us to this place uh, where we are in the New Testament. And the last thing we looked at, if you are here last week, was Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. And at the end of the Old Testament, there is a 400-year silence. God just goes quiet. And you only turn one page. You turn from the last page of Malachi to the first page of Matthew. But 400 years go by without God saying a word. That should remind you of the people who were in the desert in the end of Genesis, enslaved in Egypt. And when Genesis comes to a close and God's people are enslaved in Egypt, 400 years go by as they wait on a Savior and Moses is sent by God to deliver them. Same thing. 400 years go by and now... God sends a Savior, but Moses was only a picture. This is the reality. So this is the moment we've been waiting for. <laughs> I didn't. This is it. This is what we've been reading for the whole entire time. This is the life of Jesus. There's more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to him. Astronomical odds, it is completely impossible unless it's true. 300 prophecies across 1,600 years that point to this one person, Jesus and today we're going into the New Testament or the New Covenant. Uh, it begins with what's called the Gospels or the Good News. That's what Gospel means, Good News. There's four accounts here, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four different stories. Do they all say word for word the same thing? No. Some say different parts. Uh, some point things out. But that actually adds to the credibility because that means they're genuinely four people 
telling you what they see or have learned or experienced. If they all were identical, then we'd question it. Like, only one person saw this and you all copied it, you know. But they're different accounts. Matthew and John, of the four, Matthew and John were among the twelve that walked with Jesus. You're getting a little quick because we're making a big moment here. So you're getting a little lesson. But that's all right. We're going to jump in in a second. So Matthew and John walked with Jesus every step of the way. They, they were there. They were among the twelve disciples. Mark was likely around all of these events, probably knew about them. He was around the same time period alive, but he wasn't among the twelve. However, he was a disciple of Peter, who was among the twelve. So you could almost call Mark Peter's gospel, in a sense, okay? And then Luke, Luke was also likely around a lot of these events, but he wasn't among the twelve, uh, but he was with Paul. And he would have known the things that Paul taught. Plus, he was a historian, so he would record information. He was a learner and a gatherer of information. And so uh, you could almost call his gospel the gospel of Paul. But, but either way, Luke actually goes a little further. Luke goes, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are one continuous story of Jesus and his church all the way through. Okay, so there's your little lesson. Three of the four discuss Jesus' birth. Mark doesn't talk about it. Remember, they three different accounts. So they're telling the parts that were important to them. So three of the Gospels tell about Jesus' birth. Mark doesn't. There's a brief reference to his childhood in them. But all four aim at the last three years or so of his life. He lived about 33 years. The last three years of Jesus. That's a four. All four. Three years. There you go. Uh... Focus on those last three years. And where we're going to begin, because remember, we're not doing everything. We're following these points along history. So we're going to keep doing that, even though we're in the New Testament. But uh, we can start with John. John starts talking about his deity right away, that he is God. We could start there. We could start with Matthew. Matthew starts by proving that he is from the line of Abraham and from the line of David, and therefore he's the rightful king. We could start with Luke's lineage. Luke's lineage goes all the way back to Adam and points out that he's the one we've been looking for. He's the daughter or son of Eve. I mean, um, we go to the virgin birth and talk about that. We go to the manger and talk about that. There's so much. We go back to it every Christmas and we find a new thing and it's not Christmas. I know that. Um, But today I want to zoom in on the wise men. That's where I want to go. Jesus is still less than two years old. He's still in Bethlehem, but contrary to countless manger scenes, he's definitely not still in the manger. Uh, And while we're crushing Christmas traditions, is it three kings, and are they from the Orient? So we're going to look at that today and talk about it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, no, they're not. I'm going to go on and tell you that they were disciples. Shanae and James picked a great day to be here because they're they're from the church that sent us out here, and, and this is key to, 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 to everything I came out of disciple making may even heard me talk about this before, because this is something I'm super passionate about right here. But um, disciples of Daniel, that's who they were. And I'm going to show you today uh, what went on here with Daniel passing on the promises of Messiah for generations and generations for 500 years until there's a star in the sky. All right. So look at Matthew, though, first chapter two. And we're going to go back to Daniel in a second, even though I know we already talked about Daniel, but you'll see why. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, 
Let me read this. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we come to worship him. Lord, I say it every week, your word is amazing. Uh, and, and as we flip it today, I mean, I, I, I know for us, we're just turning pages in a book. But it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of history between the events that we're talking about today. And it's just such evidence that you are real and true and you are who you say you are. Lord, I thank you that you gave us your word that we can look back at that and, and forever know who you are by the gift you've given us of, of the Bible, of your word. Let us love that. Let us treat it with like not just respect but love. And share it with other people as often as possible. Teach it to us, Lord. I love you and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is horrible for a pastor to use Quentin Tarantino as a illustration. But if you don't know who he is, he's a movie maker. And I'm not recommending any of his movies for the record, okay? So, I, I, I mean, just because they're not exactly, well, you know why. So, in any event, though, if you've seen any of Quentin Tarantino's movies, what made him famous in the beginning was that he made his movies a bit out of order. So, if you're watching them, you're kind of in this state of kind of what's going on a little bit. And you may not even realize that you've watched the end of the movie before the movie even gets to the end. But as the movie itself continues to unfold, you start to get all the pieces together and you start to have the whole thing. And by the time it's done, you're like, oh, okay, I got the whole story. Cool. That was awesome. But you may not realize you've already seen the end. Um, I'm not comparing the Gospels to Quentin Tarantino. But, but there is a bit of a similarity here in the fact that the Gospels tell about the moment that all of past history points to and the moment that all history since then points back to. Um, and if you don't see that, if it confuses you, maybe like a Tarantino movie confuses a lot of people. If it confuses you, believe me, by the time Revelation, the last book of the Bible, by the time it comes to a close, the whole world will know, all of creation will know that the Gospels are the highest point in history. That that's the end of the story, um, no matter what. And as disciples of Christ, we got one job. Share the gospel, point people back, and t teach them to anticipate the future at the same time. And equip them to do that with other people, just like Daniel did. So here's the point to remember. I always make one. It's on the sheet back there if you got it. If you didn't, it's okay. Just a simple one point. If you get nothing else, hold this in your head. Making disciples should always be about pointing people to Jesus in a way that empowers them to point others to him also has to be both. You can't just point people to Jesus and say, best of luck to you. You have to equip them to, to do it for others as well. So Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read in here. So if you've got your Bible, flip back to, or you're in chapter 2 already. So verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many? Doesn't say. Just says plural, right? Wise men plural probably was a caravan at the very least so it could have been a great number of them uh we don't we don't know could have been two all it has to be is plural saying and they came to jerusalem why they come to jerusalem 
capital, right? Why Isn't that where you go? Coming to Arizona, looking for the royalty, you're going to come to Phoenix, I hope. Not Tucson, just saying. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so anyway, he says, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. So they've identified this star they found as belonging to this person, and they've come to worship him. That's a big word. Worship. Not pay homage. Worship. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Troubled means like stirred up. Like it caused this massive commotion, like there's craziness all of a sudden. Everybody's going nuts. Everybody's talking about who's this king? Who's this person? Who's this whatever? I mean, it's just made a, an agitated, disturbed environment here. And he, uh, Herod, assembles all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, but basically historians. And he acquires of them where the Messiah, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem. Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. That prophet is Micah that they're talking about 750 years before this moment. So they know scripture well enough to pop right back. 750 years ago, Micah said this person would be in Bethlehem. In fact, verse 6, he literally says, oh, you, they quote it. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they quote that right back. Quote scripture. Here it is. This is where he's supposed to be. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. So Herod kind of says, okay, y'all heard that? Hey, you guys come over here with me a minute. Or let's meet in the other room. Um, And he says, ascertain from them what time, when did you see this star? When did it appear? Whatever. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too can come and worship him. And after listening to the king, and it's funny they put that in there. It's like they're saying after humoring the king. These guys, I think, are seeing through this dude like to some degree. Like what is going on in this place? They went. On their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it had risen, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I think they're probably surprised here that Herod is shocked. Like, you're the ruler of the Jews? we're, We're not even from here, bro. You're the ruler of the Jews, and you don't know? You What? Like, why are you acting so weird? Why is everybody acting so crazy? Like, how do y'all not know this? But now they have the scripture to verify the place. Like, they they got that. Now we know where. It's Bethlehem. We know for sure. But as if that wasn't good enough, they walk back out of the palace and boom, the, the star is back. And it's moving and it, it and it stops on a precise spot. So what is the star? Well, I would love to be the guy who tells you that, uh, but I'm not going to be because that would make me uh, adding to the Bible. It doesn't say. Was it a literal star? Probably. Could have been like, if you remember in the Old Testament, we, we came over this when the people were out wandering through the desert. They were led by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. And it tells us the angel of God was in the midst of it. So it could have been something like that, like a supernatural event of a star that wasn't way up in the heavens, but was lower in some way 
that was moving above them. They just call it a star, for lack of a better description. Um, it could be an angel. Angels were described as stars in some cases. I don't really think any of those things are the case, but they, they could be, some say. It could be the a star. Our sun is a star. There's a story in Joshua where God holds the sun still in the sky. You could say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, there's a lot of things ridiculous in here if we're going to start that. You know what I mean? But if he created all things, it's not a problem. It's really not a problem. It's really not a problem. You know? So I don't know what this was, but whatever it was they saw, it was unique to them. They describe it as a star, and it stops over a specific place. It is a supernatural thing that fills them with joy to see. Verse 11, and going into the house, not the manger, not the farm, not a cave, a house. So based, and you can look at it in your own time, but based on verse 16, he's under two years old. But he's clearly not still in this manger. He's in, they're in a house now at some place. They're from Nazareth. Eventually they'll go back to Nazareth. But for the time being, they're, they're in an Airbnb. You know what I'm saying? In, uh, in Bethlehem. I don't know, but they're in a home of some kind in Bethlehem. So they go in, they see the child with Mary, his mother. Maybe he's a year old. Who knows? And they fell down and worshiped him. Like that's huge. These dudes literally fall on their face and worship. Not pay homage. This is not a royalty thing in that sense. This is a worship thing. Like, they, they know this is not just a king. They, they've seen a star miraculously in the sky. Like, they know, they've seen scripture that's 750 years old now point them right to him. They know he's more than just a person. And they fall down and they worship him. And then opening their treasures, they offer him gold, uh, uh, gifts, Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the three gifts, by the way, is where we get the idea that there were three wise men, because there's three gifts, but that's, there could have been a hundred pounds of each. You know what I mean? It could have been, doesn't, doesn't matter that three gifts are irrelevant to the number of people, okay? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, I'm not going into that because I'm focused on the wise men themselves. So, who were they? Well, the word wise men in Greek is magi. And you probably know the term or have heard the term magi, especially Christmas. Some use the term magi. Magi is short for another word, magician or astrologer. Same thing, which explains why they were studying the stars. Uh, they were astrologers. They watched the skies. Um, I'm not talking about fortune teller and weird stuff watching the stars. I'm just talking about they studied the stars, like a NASA type study the stars. Where are they from? In the east is what it says. In the Bible, the east is always, 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 always Babylonian direction. It's almost always a reference to Babylon or something Babylon related, Assyria, Babylon. That, that's, what it, that's where east goes. They don't ever intend all the way over as we do to Asian countries in the Far East. Um, so how would these guys know about a star in Israel and whatever else? Well, first of all, Numbers 22, we talked about this guy. It's been probably a year. Balaam was a guy that God, or that, that was hired to curse the people of Israel in the desert when they had gotten out of slavery. And instead, this prophet, quote-unquote, this magician... 
Instead of cursing them, every time he opens his mouth, God spits a blessing out instead. But this guy was no Jew, and he was no follower of God when it's all said and done. We talked about his story. You can go read it. I'm not going to go back to it all. But he was very well known, and he lived in a town called Pethor. Pethor became a part of Babylon years later when Babylon conquered everything. And his prophecies were likely written down, this pagan prophet, and would have been around, including this one, that he'd said to the, that, that he intended to be a curse, but God made a blessing. It's recorded in Numbers 24, but it would have been recorded among his writings as well, uh, in other places. In verse 17, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. That's synonymous with Israel. And a scepter or king shall rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab, break down all the sons of Shea. I won't go into all that. But this guy's a well-known prophet. This prophecy would have stayed among his writings in Babylon all, uh, you know, indefinitely. So you have these magi, right, that are present. These magi over the centuries already are watching for a star. And they're watching for a star to rise in Jacob or Israel. And they know that that's associated with a king. So they already have those two little pieces of the puzzle for, you know, centuries as things go. But what made them believe it was this moment that it was time to follow and go to this star? 580 B.C. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. You can let go of Matthew. Go back to Daniel chapter 2. So... We talked about Daniel recently, about three or four weeks ago. Uh, maybe, maybe it was a month ago, I don't know. But we talked about Daniel as we came through in Daniel chapter 2. Um, and you're going you're gonna to need to look because gonna, we're going to walk through this really quick. I just want to point out a couple of things. We already did Daniel. You want to know what this is really about? Go back and listen to Daniel chapter 2 and when we taught it before. Right now, I just want to point you out something. So 580 B.C., 580 Years before Jesus, okay? Get that in your head. 580 years before Jesus, where is Israel? Captive in Babylon. They're in Babylon. Daniel is among them in Babylon. Now, I don't know what year this occurred, but around that time period, Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and sleep left him. Then the king commanded that all the what? Magicians, you could underline the first four words, magi, first four letters, magi, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. Chaldeans is what the people of Babylon became known as, but it's synonymous with an astrologer. It's the same word uh, used in synonymous with astrologers. To be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and they stood before the king and the king said to him, I have a dream, my spirit's troubled, don't know the dream. Verse 10, same chapter. Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's no man on earth who can meet the king's demand. No great powerful king has such a thing, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magi, magician, or enchanter, or Chaldean, astrologer. Same thing. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and furious, and he commanded that all the what? Now it says wise men. Now, it's, it's interchangeable with Magi, but now it's saying wise men, the exact words, of Babylon be destroyed. So he orders them all to be killed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Daniel 
says a prayer. God reveals a dream. Daniel goes to the, you know, to stop this from happening. Verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said this, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I'll show the king the interpretation of his dream. Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanter, magi, magician, or there it literally says astrologers. Can show the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals the mystery. And he tells the dream. It talks about the future. It talks about kingdoms, but it also mentions the Messiah in there. I won't go into it all. Then uh, Daniel, as a result, saves the Magi's lives. So they're in his debt, right? He just saved all of their lives. They were all about to die. Not only that, they couldn't do what he just did. So now they're a bit blown. Like, how do he do that? How do you know that? Like, his God must be God. They saw that Daniel's God was truly God, and he saved their lives. So what happened to Daniel? Look at verse 48, same chapter, last towards the end there. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and made great gifts and made him ruler over the whole prince of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Turn the page. I'll show you one more. Look at chapter 4. Daniel has another dream, or Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, has another dream. We didn't talk about this one before, but you can read it in your own time. Uh, it says, O Belshazzar, in verse 9, Daniel 4, 9, O Belshazzar, that's Daniel's name. That's what he called Daniel. So O Belshazzar, chief of the magi, magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and there's no mystery too difficult for you. Tell me what my dream is about. Chief of the magi. So what do you think Daniel did with his respect and his authority over these guys? He made disciples. What do you think he taught them? The same, quote, power that he had, a relationship with a living God. See him, know him, scripture. Whatever he had access to to empower them to know who God was, right? So how do they know the time of Jesus' birth? How do they know the time? How do we get to that? We already know about the star. We know about the other things. These guys are disciples of Daniel. Well, guess what? Daniel's got a lot of prophecies too, and I'm not going to break them all down. I'll just give you one. If you're a math person, you're going to love this. If you're not, I'm sorry. I hate math, but hold on, because the beauty of math is it can be math is perfect. If you put math into something, it's like naming names. Now you got serious because you're, if the math don't add up, you're a liar. Daniel 9, go over there, verse 25. This will be on the screen, I think. But Daniel makes this prophecy. There's a long prophecy here. I'm zooming in on a piece of it in verse 25. And just bear with me. It's not as overwhelming as, it think, as you think. Let me explain it to you. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay, so we remember that. We talked about that. Remember, we talked about Ezra. We talked about Nehemiah and God sending Nehemiah out and Cyrus of Persia sending Nehemiah out to rebuild the wall. We talked about how the temple was rebuilt. We talked about there being three phases. Remember, we talked about all that. Ezra, uh, Esther, I mean, as well. All right, so Daniel is saying prior to that, Daniel wrote this saying, 
that from the time that the word is given for you to go, for us to go home and restore Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. The words anointed one is the word Messiah. That's what Messiah means. Anointed one. It's the same word. King. Anointed king. That's what it means. Anointed, you have been anointed as king. So Messiah, anointed one king, he calls him a prince. There shall be seven weeks, and then for 62 weeks, it, the city of Jerusalem, shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a time of trouble, a troubled time. So we have seven and 62. You with me? That's what he says right there. We have seven weeks and 62 weeks. You add... He adds one more in the next verses. In verse 27, he adds one more. We're not going to talk about the last one there. But we have a total of 70 weeks total. Okay? 70 weeks total. But we're looking at the first two, the 7 and the 62, because we want to know when this Messiah is going to come, this anointed one. In Hebrew, sevens, it doesn't mean week. That doesn't mean, the word is not weeks, it's sevens. So we are calling it a week because we're calling it a seven-day period, but it's not. It just says 77s. It's a seven-year period. So 77s, 77-year periods is what we're looking at. That is broken into three sections. We're looking at the first two, the 7 and the 62. It's in this verse. Just bear with me. Don't get overwhelmed. 7 and 62. Okay, so that is a total then of 69 Seven-year periods, right? Seven plus 62 equals 69. 69 seven-year periods. That's what we're looking at. That's 483 years. They can do math. 483 years till Messiah, till anointed one, till king comes. Question is, when does the countdown start? That's cool. 483 years. When does the countdown start? Well, some argue that the countdown began with Cyrus's decree from Ezra to go back. Some argue that it was when Nehemiah was sent back to rebuild the temple. And people will get in there and argue with you about calendars because the Jewish calendar is not the same as ours. It's 360 days, not 365. If you really want the breakdown of math, I'll show it to you. I'm not going to give it all to you but right now. But no matter how you look at it, The countdown begins when they are sent back to Israel to start rebuilding, and it literally lands on Jesus' lifetime. It either comes right to his birth, or it comes to the moment where he walks into Jerusalem, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, where he's crucified. Either way, it lands on his lifetime. This is math, y'all. Like, that's math. All these dudes had to do was count down. Seven sevens go by. Forty-nine years go by. That's how long it takes them to rebuild. And then he said there'll be 62 sevens. Or for the rest of the time there, the 434 more years would be a time of trouble. Was it a time of trouble? Yeah. Greece was invading them. Rome was invading them. They were constantly under attack. They were trapped in warfare. It was a mess. To say it was a time of trouble is an understatement. And meanwhile, God's silent. Remember, for 400 years, God said nothing. To say the least, it was. Daniel nailed this. There's no way Daniel could know this. Math, y'all. There's no way he could know that. Except that God is real. Except that God is real. And sure enough, Jesus shows up. And the Magi would have known to be looking. They would have known. 
Oh, the countdown's on, man. It's been 483 years, man. We surely, oh, there's a star. It's over there. It's, 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 it's on, it's in the west. They're in the east. It's in the west. It's over towards where Israel is. Just like Daniel said, Daniel's long gone, but they know the star. They got the king. They got the place. They got the time. They know who God is all because Daniel discipled them. All because Daniel made disciples who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples for 500 plus years anticipating this moment that we celebrated Christmas all the time. Is it any surprise that they were there to see the Messiah? They were there to see him. The person they were discipled to anticipate is there. I feel like that's why they show up with Herod and they're like, what's your problem, dude? How do you not know this? Like We're all the way from Babylon. And we know, how do you not know this? You're supposed to be the ruler of the Jews. If your faith is in Christ, listen to me, like Daniel, you got one mission, make disciples. And let me show you something. Much like with Daniel and his disciples, Revelation, we'll finish right here, Revelation 22. I'm going to give you a few verses, you can note them, and then I'm done. Revelation 22, verse 7. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. I am coming soon. Jesus said that himself. Verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Bringing my justice with me to repay each for what he's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. Verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let those who are thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water without a price come. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Got Jesus' own words. Amen, says John. Come, Lord Jesus. So, are you making disciples who are making disciples that are anticipating the Messiah because he's coming Again, we should be doing the same thing that Daniel did. So, here's the gospel. Eve's curse reigned for thousands of years. Countless generations, countless generations faced that curse. Their children after children after children facing death. But with this child, everything changes. This is the pinnacle of history. This is the child where everything changes entirely. Salvation is born at this moment. And even the Babylonians knew it. Do you know it? I'm talking about past the manger scene. Do you know it? Would you come see him in the Airbnb? You know? Do you know it? Following Jesus, it begins and ends with ending yourself. It begins and ends with saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Jesus, I've been trying it my own way for too long. I thought I had it figured out. I don't. I thought I'd known the right way. I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm lost. That's what it means to be lost, like to recognize that, hey, I, I, I'm a failure. Like, I I might be good at some things, but I fall short of you. I'm not perfect. 
I'm a sinner. That's the same language. Much like Eve, I've done it my own way. Much like Adam, I've done it my own way. I won't do that anymore. And you look at Jesus and you realize that this was a perfect, this was God on earth. And, and, and just like the, the uh, Magi, you want to worship. You just want to fall on your face and worship. And you want to say, I trust the cross was enough. Like, I trust it was enough. I, I'll never be good enough. But you went to that cross. Like, you went there for me. You died for me. I'll never be good enough. But it's good enough. It was good enough what you did. And you realize that I'll never get out of a grave. I'll never get out of it. That grave is waiting for me no matter what I do because I've earned death. But you also recognize that he conquered that grave. And you trust it's enough. It's enough. And you tell him. It's that simple. You tell him. If you all stand up with me, we're going to pray and then we're going to do one more song and we're going to call it done but i want you guys to take a minute today seriously and think a little bit about it it's not a heavy thing it's a great thing it's a weightlifting thing that you can be free of sin it's a weightlifting thing to know that christ not only loves you and died for you but has empowered you with the responsibility of discipling others it's a great thing to know that he's coming again. Why would you not want to share that with people? Why would you not want people to know that? But if you haven't made that first step, the first step begins with sacrificing your life to him and saying, I'm yours, Jesus. You could have me. I'm going to do whatever you want. It starts there. You need to say that. Do it. You want to come talk to me? Please do. Um, but let's take a few minutes and sing one more song. I'm going to pray for us first. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for history. I thank you for math. I thank you for factual dates and times and things. It's not just all these fairy stories or unbelievable wild occurrence. I'm like, you, like it happened. These things occurred. There's even math, Lord. I get blown by that, that what a risk for Daniel to have written that stuff down if it weren't true. It could have been proven wrong so easily, but 483 years later, it's truth. Thank you, Jesus, for being real. Thank you for dying for me. Nobody could tell me I know I'm a sinner. Sometimes I feel like Paul, the chief of sinners, he called himself. I, I wrestle with it all the time. But thank you for dying for that. Thank you that it isn't up to me. If it was up to me, I'd never make it. And I know that. But thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you that you died where I should die. Thank you, Lord, that you conquered a grave that's waiting for me. And that it can't have me because it can't have you. And I belong to you. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in the room today that needs to make that decision, that they'll do it. They don't have to come up here, and there needs to be no pomp and circumstance. They just got to tell you. And I pray that they do, Lord. And then come tell us so we can celebrate what you're doing. Let us be faithful to make disciples, Lord, especially here in Tempe, and empower others to do it as well. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.